Recruitment. At its core, it's about matching people with organizations. But with all the twists and turns, you might mistake talent acquisition for a thriller novel. Adrian Russo, innovator and co-founder of Recruit Locator, is bringing you a fresh podcast with style. This is Recruiting is a Cluster. From the preposterous to the practical, you'll hear stories from the field to help you stay on trend as we reshape recruitment for a brave new era and hopefully crack a smile while we're at it. Buckle up, it could be a wild ride. Here's Adrian. Thank you for joining me on the Recruiting is a Cluster podcast. My name is Adrian Russo and I'm the host for the show. I'm here to help you navigate through this beautiful mess that we call recruitment. I've been blessed to have many amazing experiences in recruitment to include speaking at a number of recruiting conferences, demoing my recruiting app Recruit Locator at tech conferences, and helping many Fortune 500 companies solve their hiring needs. I was a co-founder of Recruit Locator along with Joanne Burt, who currently runs all aspects of the company. If you have any recruiting needs, I highly suggest you reach out to her as she is an amazing recruiter who can help you out with any talent acquisition need that you may have. Her information will be in the show notes. Before we go any further, I need to thank all of our listeners. We continue to receive a tremendous outpouring of support from everyone who listens to this show. I continue to receive a number of messages on LinkedIn, email, and every other medium you can imagine. The response has been overwhelmingly positive. We've received a number of positive ratings on iTunes, Anchor, Google, and every other podcasting platform you could imagine. We currently have a perfect five-star rating in iTunes, and we continue to receive questions and kind words of support from our listeners. Because of the support we received, I posted on LinkedIn this week about an AMA episode that we're going to air in the future. For those who are not familiar, an AMA isn't asking me anything. So if you have any questions whatsoever about recruiting, hiring, or interviewing, please email me or post to my LinkedIn or respond in some other way and ask me your recruiting questions for a chance to have them answered on the podcast. Once again, I want to thank everyone who's listening to the show, and I hope you continue to listen and subscribe. We are excited to welcome today's guest, who is a true tech mogul. He is a former top engineer at Google who led a global team to increase search quality operations. Yes, those search quality operations. I'm sure everyone listening here uses Chrome. His team improved quality and relevance of search results. If you've ever used Chrome and you like the search results you get, His team is responsible for ensuring those results are relevant and returned quickly. He also pioneered outward communications for a very engineering-focused team. He is currently an executive at 3M, where he serves as the search and findability global leader. He stood up and built this team from scratch as a Greenfield initiative. If there is anyone to listen to on hiring, it is this gentleman. I'm pleased to welcome our next guest, Gaurav Shinde. Gaurav, how are you today? I'm good, Adrian. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on here, and uh, it's been a great day. I had some interesting things happening at work, and I've been on, I've been working from my board the entire pandemic, so uh, there was some excitement there as well with some storms passing by. All is good, and I had some very good, interesting work, like stuff happening at work, uh, which was uh, with uh, the tech side of search that I work on, uh, and it's just 
back to my Google days when uh, we used to really explore stuff uh, on how people search and how to get them to buy things. So yeah, in an exciting day, as you know. So you're really working remote then today, huh? Oh yeah, I'm. Uh, I, this pandemic gave me this opportunity, and uh, it's been uh, fun so far. So I saw that you're you're really into sailing. So how has that been going uh, during the pandemic? Yeah, it gave me really good opportunities to sail. There were some days when I went out sailing and took calls from out in the lake. Uh, so that was a yeah, that was a change. Uh, I'm planning to sail around the world solo nonstop in 2022. Uh, so it really gave me a lot of time to work on the boat and make sure it's ready for a challenge like that. So how long have you been sailing for? I've been sailing since I was 11 years old and I've sailed uh, quite a few uh, big passages where I've sailed across uh, the Pacific, the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean. And it's yeah, it's uh, more than 25,000 miles of sailing and this next challenge is going to be twice as that. Well, that sounds like the ultimate social distancing event and obviously quite the endurance challenge. What are you doing to prepare for that? Yeah, it's been, um, it's, it, that race is going to be 200 plus days at sea alone. You can't really do much to prepare. I've been uh, an only child growing up, so uh, that, that, that's uh, helped me prepare very nicely. So you mentioned that that harkens back to your Google days. A lot of our listeners here are on the tech side of things. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did at Google? Yeah, um, I worked on the Google search team, the, the Google web spam team, uh, which uh, basically made sure that the bad guys who were trying to game Google uh, didn't find their way through and come to the top spot uh, whenever they wanted. So we, we, were, we were a very interesting team and I led a small team in part of that is when uh, if someone's website would be taken out of Google, uh, they would appeal to my team and my team would decide if they, they could come back or not. came in touch with a lot of interesting folks who work in search at Google. Um, the guys who built the Google shortener, Google.gl, and Matt Cutts, who, uh, who revolutionized Google search uh, and was the face of Google for a long time till he went and started working at the US, United States Digital Services for President Obama. Uh, it's, it, it was a good time at Google. Uh, I learned a lot and it's helping me even now. How do you think that prepared you for some of the roles that you're in now? I noticed that you've moved to 3M. How did Google prepare you for your current role? Uh, Google being your first job is sometimes a good thing and sometimes a bad thing because it sets your bar really high. Um, and you work with some of the most intelligent people anywhere uh, in the market. Things move so fast and in a legacy company like 3M, things don't move as fast as uh, a company like Google and it really, it, it makes you regret your decision of leaving Google sometimes. Uh, but you know what they say about Google is once you leave Google, you're like a Howard PhD who does not teach at Howard anymore, but he has to go and make the standards better at some other companies. So it, yeah, I've brought some fresh insight to 3M, which they appreciate. Uh, and I have learned uh, how to incorporate uh, uh, the workings of a very fast moving company into a slow comp in, in a movie, which uh, in a company, which uh, uh, moves at a very slow pace. 
but uh, just how I can take small things from there and transform teams. And my team has been performing absolutely at the edge and they love it. And uh, I've been brought in by many of our leaders uh, in Canada uh, to change the culture. And seeing that happen at 3M is is an exciting feeling and being the champion of that um, puts me in a really good spot to be known inside the company. So that's interesting. One of the things that you mentioned was that you took a lot of the lessons from Google. You mentioned that you set up, you know, a really high performing team and you're currently the search and findability global leader. How did your experience at Google prepare you to set up that team and bring that new initiative to 3M? I think, um, so if you see most of all of us, if we have something to think about, we search that now, unlike few years ago when we would probably go to books or we would ask someone, now it's a straight search. Uh, But uh, when you're at Google, it's a very different way of searching. It's because you are the one who is actually preempting what someone is searching is going to do. And you have so much amount, such a large amount of data, which tells you what people are actually, how people are actually behaving. So that gives you a leg up um, on the person who's actually searching out there. It changed the way I was thinking about search. And uh, my job was to basically look at 400 plus websites every day and uh, see how they are spamming the internet. That changed my perspective about UX, about, um, about searching, about how people search and what people are looking for. And uh, that was an insight that I brought to 3M, which coupled with uh, the cultural aspects of working at Google, um, were a powerful uh, force uh, because 3M is a company which has more than 90,000 products out there in the market and they want people to find them. So you're bringing culture, you're bringing innovation, and you're standing up this new team. Are there ever any instances where you've encountered challenges hiring talent? Yeah, um, there's always challenges hiring good talent. Uh, in Canada, when I was hiring, it was um, in a city called London, Ontario, which is 200 kilometers from Toronto, and the talent is not as that the talent there's not as much as much talent as there might might be in a big city like Toronto. So you have to cast a wide net, and you have to think about accommodating someone you probably won't accommodate when you're in Toronto, and then test other things like trainability, uh, like how someone can really pick up cross-functional skills uh, because you could take someone who is good at something else, uh, but if they are trainable, you can train them to do something else at the same time. So uh, that really helps. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a funny market out there sometimes um, and, and in my past roles in a, uh, in a startup that I worked in in between as well, hiring has always been challenging, sometimes fun, uh, you meet great people uh, and sometimes you just don't meet great, uh, not so great people. But yeah, that's a, that's a, it's, it's a parallel to our lives. You know, you mentioned one, one item that is a recurring theme on the show, which is finding great talent. How do you approach hiring in an area that's either geographically dispersed or not densely populated? Do you go after remote talent or do you look to import talent from other areas? What's your approach there? So if it's, you know, think about the role first. If the role is something where you can get someone trained on them, 
then it's a lot easier. You cast a wide net, you get someone who's close enough, uh, who can fit the bill in the future, and you train them. But sometimes you need a specialist. And uh, at that time, you have to just play like the Romeo who's trying to woo a girl and uh, make and try to do everything you can if you have spotted the t- talent out there. Make it exciting. And then a lot of companies who try uh, with the city councils, um, and that's what PM has done in London. London um, is slowly becoming a very exciting market. Companies like CM help with the local accelerators for startups, which is bringing in more talent, bringing in startups. One of the most fastest growing companies in North America uh, is now situated in London, Ontario. It's a long game. Uh, sometimes building that talent pool, uh, but there are uh, there are ways like coaching uh, or ways like training uh, to supplement that in the short term. So with all that hiring and expansion, you must have some interesting stories of candidates that you've interviewed in the past. Do you have any stories you'd like to share oh, with us? Oh yeah, I've certainly had some interesting stories. Um, one interesting story was uh, when I was uh, getting hired at Google, my first interview, I was really cocky. I said, why should you hire me? I said, I'm the best, that's why. And uh, luckily they didn't throw me out and I went through the entire process and uh, here I am today. Uh, but something funny happened. I was hiring for a role once. It was a very specific role. It was something that I wanted in a uh, candidate and uh, very a lot of interesting resumes came in, uh, but I still didn't have enough. So I pulled in uh, a few people to interview just because I wanted to see if they were trainable and I could fit them in somewhere um, and if they just had natural talent. And then one guy came in. Um, he was uh, the stereotypical guy with a long beard, like a short and uh, not really pressed. And he was just looking up here all the time. And then um, when I started interviewing him, he had some really interesting answers to questions. I asked him if he had to manage people, how would we manage? And uh, he just started looking at the ceiling and uh, he, there was a long pause and this is this was like a movie scene yeah this is and i like i'm not kidding it's it was so funny and he started he started making actions with his hands and saying oh i am like a bumblebee um and i will be like a bumblebee manager who goes from one flower to another picking up their nectar and taking it back to the honeycomb um uh, and that's uh, not an analogy to you. I, I, I got the parallels with what he's saying because the manager does that. He takes the best out of all candidates, all all his teammates, and takes it uh, to the betterment of the team and and the work they are doing. Uh, but it was just funny. It was his face was the stereotypical look of someone who's stoned. Uh, it was just uh, I laughed. Um, I had a few follow up questions, which 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 met similar answers. And uh, I w- and then there were some questions which I asked and the answers were completely in the opposite direction. Yeah, I, I don't know if he, if he tried it because he was nervous or it was uh, just uh, a habit or something, but uh, it was a first. And especially because Canada had just legalized it. So it was fun. So you have a candidate that shows up to an interview, gives you interesting responses that 
kind of allude to an answer to your question, but also veer off a little bit to the right. And then he also has some bloodshot eyes, a little bit disheveled. Couple that with the fact that Canada just passed, you know, medical marijuana. So it looks like a candidate basically showed up to an interview stoned. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly what you're hearing. So what wound up happening with that candidate? He was good, uh, but I definitely had uh, a few better candidates. And uh, regardless of uh, that situation wasn't like that. Um, I think the other resumes were a bit stronger and the, the interviews were a lot stronger as well. So I, I couldn't really do, uh, I couldn't even give a second look. And it just became an interesting story I tell at one podcast. We see the same thing here in the United States as far as states legalizing marijuana. You have federal legislation that makes marijuana illegal, state legislation that makes it legal with a medicinal marijuana card, and then you have these companies that have to choose their policies. What have you seen as far as companies choosing their drug testing policies around these various changes in laws? Yeah, I think uh, at, at least in Canada, I've seen uh, companies uh, deferring to the employees to be smart enough and responsible and adult enough to consume uh, just marijuana or substances that have been legalized in the workplace or be responsible enough to use as much as permitted. And personally, I haven't seen anything like that uh, where I work. Um, I have heard of stories where people do, do that uh, at work in other companies. I haven't heard of anyone getting fired as such uh, i wouldn't say testing is the answer uh, or randomized testing definitely not uh, because we don't randomize a test for alcohol uh, it's always when we see something blatantly going wrong uh, that people are checked on um, because i've heard of people going for drinks uh, in the afternoon at lunch meetings uh, and sometimes if you're with a client, it's probably something you have to do. Yeah, it's it's, it's a tricky situation. Uh, it's it's very it's easy to say, but like like the last situation where I said, what if it's a client uh, who's going to do it, and you probably have to give company. Uh, sometimes um, a lot of people would say the company policy says you shouldn't do that, but you never know. You have these situations, too, where you're looking in tech. One of the fastest-growing areas is pot tech. And then you couple that with societal changes. How do you think that changes the demographics of the workforce and, you know, how companies have to adjust to these societal changes? Companies most are like society, I think. With the recent situation, they've been talking about hiring more diversely. Uh, and then once... Uh, things like marijuana become more legalized widely, I think companies have to adapt and uh, uh, set policies which uh, make sure their work uh, doesn't get hindered. And even now, uh, with most of everyone working at home, uh, you don't know what's happening. You don't know if the glass of, if the cup of tea has wine in it uh, or someone is uh, had a joint. Uh, so, yeah, it's a weird one, but I think companies will adapt. Uh, we as a society are adapting and we'll just see parallels of that uh, in there in how companies react. Going along with that, you mentioned diversity in there. Do you think this is a challenge that affects certain populations disproportionately? Yeah, of course. Like if you see, like right now, because marijuana was illegal till sometime in some places, 
people who went to jail uh, were disproportionately affected from some uh, ethnic groups, some racial background. And that probably is what could happen in the workplace as well, that some people might be targeted a lot more uh, versus others not as much. As you see, it's again a parallel with society that um, a lot of tech entrepreneurs in marijuana uh, are of a certain racial background. So yeah, it's uh, it definitely does raise the concern uh, that such things could be weaponized again. And it's going to be the same way the society will deal with it. You know, you touched on one of my hot button topics, which is DE&I. That's something I'm very passionate about, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Overall, and the marijuana topic aside, how do you think we could foster a more diverse workforce within our companies? And how do you think we could be more inclusive in hiring technologists overall? Yeah, funny enough, I am actually... Uh, from a from a untouchable caste in India, which is uh, the oppressed classes in India, um, and I feel it uh, as much. And then diversity and inclusion is a very uh, is topic close to my heart. It's going to be difficult, but it has to be done. I think what import what is important is companies unfortunately have to take up the burden of what education institutes have to. Because if they have to make sure that their workforce is diverse and works harmoniously, where some people do not feel they are affected uh, badly, they have to take up education. It doesn't have to be in the way it happens in schools, but it has to happen because sometimes you'll hire someone who's 25 and they're going to work with you, uh, with you till they're 65. They're never going to go back and get an education uh, or be in a diverse atmosphere growing up. And so the company has to start training them. And that means uh, talking to them about history, talking to them about diversity, and they can learn about how certain actions affect other individuals around them. And it's very challenging. It's, it's another cost, which is sunk as such when it comes to accounting for a company but it can go such a long way if it creates a workforce that is completely committed that is completely accommodating to each other it's it's something that has to be done and unfortunately for companies they have to pick up a job which was not there you mentioned that back in india you're from an untouchable class and you know here you are today you're a global leader at 3m you previously worked at google one of the premier tech companies on the planet you're a champion sailor you have everything going for you right now you're in canada you you seem to have everything going for you in tech it's a very inspirational story how did you get to where you are today so yeah actually i'll go back to the diversity and inclusion i think uh what really drives those things to work in companies and in social life uh, in general is when someone who's privileged actually uh, opens their arms, takes someone and helps someone else grow. And that's what happened to me. When I was sailing and I joined my sailing club as a kid, there were so many rich people in sailing in India. Uh, who helped me across. They 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 found out which schools should I go to, which schools should I apply to, 
how I should study. They taught me all those things. They gave me direction in life, which probably my parents wouldn't have been because they had never been in those spaces. Uh, my parents never went uh, beyond high school. So I was lucky enough to have these people give me direction. And that changed my life completely. That kept me going in sailing. That uh, took me to the best arts uh, school in India. Um, and uh, that uh, gave me the Google job after that. And that prepared me for the Google job. And then just beyond that, when I uh, was planning to come to Canada, again, I took advice from some, some of these individuals in the sailing club who are CEOs of companies. Um, and they knew where to go to study abroad and how things work with immigration, etc. And that was the platform. I think people with privilege think they can't do anything financially. They cannot do uh, wealth distribution, which is talk, spoken about. What they can do is they can help others who are not so privileged see what they can't see. My parents couldn't see the fact that I should be going to a good school. They wanted me to go to the school which was the closest to their home. It's those things where talented kids uh, who don't have privilege can't see. And uh, those who, who have privilege can go into those spaces and help a few. Uh, and that makes a big difference to the lives of some people. So bringing it back full circle, what really helped were these people who were privileged bringing you into the fold in the sailing community and helping you out and bringing you in almost like a mentor would and kind of ushering you through, you know, what it takes to excel in your academic studies and be a mentor to you throughout the process. And now it sounds like here you are today, uh, you're continuing your sailing. Do you continue to mentor other youth uh, as a successful entrepreneur today? I do spend some time doing that. Uh, I try to give back whenever I can. I uh, so in back in back home in sailing, uh, there are of uh, the, the helpers in the club. Their children don't really uh, get uh, any education uh, because I was at least a member of the club. They are not even members. The people who work at them. I have almost finished setting up a scholarship for their children to get an edu a, a college education. And that's the first step. And the second step that I'm going to do is for the sale around the world, I have a group of black indigenous and people uh, BIPOC basically youth, a few of them who are going to join me and train with me as I get ready for sailing, which is going to help them uh, get exposed to a demographic, which is well-off, rich, which uh, is able to maintain intergenerational wealth. And then I want to train one of these guys, one of these four or five individuals uh, to take my boat and sail solo around the world themselves uh, six years from now. And that's a parallel project that works with my project to sail solo around the world. Uh, my hope is if one of those individuals will go into sailing around the world with my boat but the others will learn necessary skills on sailing where it could open up uh, sailing as a profession to become a captain at a cruise ship or a captain at a at a luxury yacht something like that uh, or just a skipper who does boat deliveries uh, it opens up something that they would have never been exposed to um yeah we are setting up that i've been in talks with the ymca we're going to set this up very soon 
So between the scholarship, the mentorship program that you have set up, the training program, it sounds like you're giving back exactly in the same fashion that you were given in order to give you a, a hand up. Where could people go to find out more information about some of these programs that you mentioned? They can go to my website. My website is my full name, gauravshinde.com. And my Facebook is always active. My Instagram is always active. My Facebook, uh, if you just search for Gaurav Shinde Ocean Racing, you'll find it. My Instagram is the same, but there's so much happening. And if you are in the area of Toronto, you can find my contact information on my website. Give me a call, come visit my board, come see what I'm doing to prepare. I'm always free to talk to anyone. Uh, message me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's very easy to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a very good profile, which has been optimized to be searched easily. And we will include all of Garab's information in the show notes. Garab, thank you very much for being a guest on the Recruiting as a Cluster podcast. It's been a pleasure having you, and we appreciate your time. Thank you, Adrian. It was great being and sharing the experiences. All the best with the podcast from your on. That's another episode of Recruiting is a Cluster with Adrian Russo. To learn more about Adrian and how Recruit Locator can support your business in this brave new world, visit RecruitLocator.com. Please subscribe and join us again next time as we untangle this beautiful mess that is recruitment. Cheers.